we buy into the idea that churches should, should not talk at all about politics, should not talk about what happens in government, should not teach members, pastors shouldn't teach members of their churches how to behave politically. Um, and this, again, the society disintegrates because of that, because the church divorces itself from matters of government. And then people begin to suffer. You know, that that's... You know, when that happens, that's the response of, that is the fault of the pastor who has kept silence or the pastors that have kept silence regarding what's happening in our nation in the political realm. We believe if pastors will lead, if the leaders will lead, people will follow. So the leaders in the church need to play a role in, in, in government and in influencing government and holding government accountable. Get ready for the uncloseted conservative hour you've been waiting for. No censors, no fake news, just facts and the freedom to speak them. Friends, if you are still in the conservative closet, I've got one question for you. Why? We've sat in silence. We've been on the sidelines for years. How has it been working out? That's why it's an uncloseted conservative revolution right here, right now. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host, and this is an uncloseted conservative hour with an awesome guest. Guys, big thanks to Birch Gold Group. Today's show is presented by Birch Gold. If you are worried about inflation, and if your eyes are open and you live in the United States, you probably are. Uh, if you're worried about uh, Biden inflation, as I like to call it, uh, rising prices of groceries, of gas, the cost of living just going through the roof, then you've got to get diversified. And the best way to do it is to diversify your savings that you already have in IRAs and 401ks into gold. You can invest your money in tax-sheltered accounts in precious metals, IRAs and gold and in silver. And you don't have to worry about you know, finding the experts, we've found them for you. It's Birch Gold. All you got to do is text Mobley to 989898 and they'll give you a free informational kit, tell you all about their offerings, their products, and um, how you can really lock in the value of your money uh, in a way that the dollar is just unfortunately uh, not doing. Uh, so again, text Mobley to 989898. Mobley is spelled M-O-B-L-E-Y. Text that to 989898 and get your free gift from Birch Gold. Guys, you know that I don't like to shy away from a conflict. You you watch the show, you listen to the show. Um, and, and huge thank you to all of the guests, whether you're a radio listener, a podcast listener, whether you watch the live streams and, and engage with us there. Uh, thank you. You're probably, you know, most of my audience calling a spade a spade. Most of my audience are, are believers in the one true God and, and uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Lord and Savior. Many of us are, you know, no, no sense in hiding that. But many of us are squishy Christians. And when I, when I say squishy Christians, I mean people that all you do is pray or all you do is read. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. As Jerry Falwell said, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. But if that's all you do, then, then friends, I got to tell you, 
you are missing out on God's calling for your life. Because when I read mine, when I read my Bible, there's prayer, there's fasting, there's reading and seeking, and then there's always action. There's the calling. There's something that God is telling you to do. There's something that he's telling you uniquely to do and created you for that. And, you know, one of the highest callings in in our faith is that of a pastor. So we are talking to uh, Pastor Bill Cook today. He's gonna be he's gonna be stirring the pot. I already know. So you know, grab a seat. Make sure you've got a glass of water. You know, if you're the kind that gets hot under the collar a little bit. And and pastors, I'm talking to you. Uh, so let's get into it. We've got uh, we've got cultural issues. We've got uh, Christianity. We've got inconvenient facts of American history, all that and more, and it all starts right now. Reverend Cook, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Um, So I've been watching all of your interviews. I've been listening to all of your speeches for the last several days. Uh, Why don't you tell the listening audience uh, who you are and what it is that you do? Well, what I'm doing is I'm leading a uh, an organization called America's Black Robe Regiment, which is a national association of clergy who are are partnering together to assert their influence within local government, um, because it, we believe that the church is really the the in, if you want to call it an institution that needs to influence government, and there's if if uh, we are believers and we understand what a biblical worldview means, that means that we understand there's two kinds of people in the world, the children of the children of light, people that know God, people that are the salt of the earth, and the children of disobedience. And we know scripture says that the behavior and motives of the children of disobedience comes from the prince of the power of the air. So if we as Christians vacate government at every level, much like has happened in the last I'd say 50, 60 years, largely happened in the last 50, 60 years, then we shouldn't be surprised when government disintegrates and begins to, you know, moves toward a tyrannical uh, take on, a, a takes on tyranny. So that's what's been happening. Absolutely. So we, we believe pastors, you know, we believe if pastors will lead, if the leaders will lead, people will follow. So the leaders in the church need to play a role. In, in, in government and in influencing government and holding government accountable. Absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because, you know, uh, you you say this and I, I hear a lot of preachers say this, uh, but it's it's the whole counsel of God. I know I, I, I came to the faith, I was a junior, about junior, senior year in high school um, where, you know, I went to Liberty University. Most people are kind of born into a Christian family. Uh, my wife born into a Christian family. Uh, so I'm kind of, you know, learning doctrine and theology kind of at a higher level, but as a baby Christian, and it seems that there are so many people that walk around and, and the, the new Testament is it for them. And, and you, and, and really many pastors, good pastors, my pastor and pastor, my church, one of these people, it's the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel from Genesis one, one to the last verse in revelation. Why, why are we getting pigeonholed? Why, why are we moving away from the whole counsel of God and moving towards the parts that are convenient for us that make us feel good? 
Well, it's like you said in the introduction of the program today, you talked about prayer, you know, and, you know, nothing, nothing significant. I think it was Wesley who said that nothing significant is accomplished in the kingdom of God apart from prayer. But it doesn't mean that that's a true statement, but it doesn't, it doesn't follow that everything, that's, everything significant is accomplished, is accomplished through prayer. We have to act. God expects us to act just like you said. And so um, in, a, in terms of a biblical worldview, when you, when you take the whole of Scripture, um, you, you, have to, you have to think of certain things like, you know, we just, just talked about government, and, and we've seen tyranny rising in our nation. And uh, if a pastor loves his flock, he doesn't just care about their spiritual condition. He cares also about their temporal condition. He cares about shepherding them besides still waters in the natural realm, in the, in the civil society we live in. And so he needs to be concerned about the political realm as well, not just the temporal realm. So I, sometimes the church, I think, many churches conduct themselves as if the, what happens outside the church has no bearing on what goes on on Sunday mornings. And I think we learned through COVID that that's simply not true. And so, um, you know, we saw that churches that confronted what was happening and said, we're not going to comply with what this government's telling us to do. Those churches grew and ex they grew incredibly uh, exponentially in some cases. And so the, and the churches that uh, shut down in obedience to the tyrannical idea that churches should not meet, uh, they, they, they shrank, they lost people. And so, um, you know, God expects, you know, I would just say, even we can talk about political preaching. Political sermons were preached in America for 200, 200 300 years um, leading up to the American Revolution. And it really was the sermon, the pastors, the sermons that they preached that were considered responsible for the American Revolution. That's, that's where the term black regiment came from. Um, the British referred to the American clergy as the black regiment. It was a, it was a critical reference to the robes they wore in the pulpit. Their, their long black gowns, and uh, they blame them for what they call the rebellion. We call the war for independence, and um, you know they 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 did they treated clergy particularly uh, badly when they caught them during the American Revolution. Uh, many of them, many of the clergy actually wore arms and fought in the American Revolution. They were the first ones to to go out against the British, and from from Lexington onward, and um, Many of them led troops, led their flocks into battle, and they, they didn't see any disconnect between being pastors and fighting tyranny. That, it was kind of remarkable. It's a remarkable history. But here we are today, and you know, I, I know the history is, as you're outlining it, but today we are so far removed from that. And it's almost, it's almost like there's this false narrative in the American church. I can't speak about other country's churches, there's almost like this narrative that the righteous thing to do is to be a pacifist. And I, I, I don't want to confuse the audience. You know, Bill and I aren't sitting here like, all right, guys, get out the guns and the pitchforks. You know, the re rebellion is here. We're just saying, I'm just saying, with so many believers that I talk to, 
many of them are pacifists. Many of them don't believe that violence is ever justified. And, and again, I go back to the whole counsel of God. The Lord is a warrior. You know, the Lord is his name. You know, a warrior is a, a fighting man, not a not a boxer or not a mixed martial artist, but but someone who fights in scripture is is pretty clear, almost graphically clear, you know, God is the intercessor. He goes ahead of us with our enemies' heads in his hand. That's this is some graphic imagery. Or am I saying that we need to do that? No. Am I saying that uh violence to fight off tyranny is off the table? I, I'm not saying that at all. That's exactly how the country was started. And we kind of have one foot, we have one foot in, one foot out. We like to say ch- separation of church and state is bad. We like to say that the founding fathers were Christian men and Judeo-Christian values are baked into the foundation, but we have one foot in, you know, there, and we have one foot out saying, uh, you know, this really isn't for us. Politics isn't for us. We don't need to be concerned with the kingdoms of man. You know, the government rests on God's shoulders and we can just sit over here uh, in, in the pews and not be associated with that. And it's, it, I agree it's very you. unproductive, but it's also not, I don't find it to be biblically sound. I don't either. You know, the way I would, the way that I think about it, I I think, you know, I, I, my wife and I had five children. We now have 10 grandchildren. And um, if someone, if when I was, when I was younger and my kids were small, if somebody started breaking into my house and they had a gun or anything, any other kind of implement they would injure people with, and um, I would become violent. I mean, I know I, I, I never had to do that, but if someone's breaking into my my uh, property and and trying to da- hurt my family, I'm going to act accordingly. And there's nothing immoral about that. You know, you know, being a nice guy doesn't extend to uh, things like breaking and breaking and entering. And so, you know, I think sometimes we think Christianity turns men in the, into nice guys. And I like what you're saying. I think it needs to turn men into warriors. Uh, loving warriors, but warriors nonetheless. We have to stand up and and defend what is right. We may not. We may be acting offensively, but ultimately, what we're doing is defensive. It's to, it's to defend justice, to defend the people we love, to defend the country we love. I mean, you were in the military, so that's probably one of the reasons you went to went to um, into the military. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And interestingly enough. Uh, those those mentors of mine that that kind of shaped me from a young age before I even was a believer, um, they were believers. They were men. They you know married the mother of their children. <laughs> they uh, uh, they they were good, solid men. All that toxic masculinity stuff that's not allowed anymore. Uh, many of them served in the military. My my high school band director who was instrumental in my upbringing was a Christian man. Uh, aside from the false narrative that white supremacy is the chief thing in America, this was a white guy that took, you know, an interest in the upbringing of uh, Virginia right. Beach was a very diverse community. Uh, huge, I, I think the largest, if not the second largest demographic of students where I went to high school in uh, at Lansdown, kind of when it was new, um, the Percy Harvin years at Lansdown. And um, I think the largest demographic of students there were Asian and, and then white, when, at least when I was in school. Um, 
but you know, this this guy, the band director, took an interest in me. It took an interest in a lot of young men, and it we weren't dealing with fatherlessness. I had both parents in the home, uh, but it makes it makes a difference. And he was a retired Navy uh, trombonist, and he kind of. Uh, I, I had to go army. I couldn't do navy. The the boat thing, you know. I don't get seasick, but constant deployments, just all the life on the boat. And when I learned about hot bunking, which is you know because there's only so much room on the ship, uh, junior members in the in the ranks share a bed with someone else. Uh, so there's a day shift and a night shift. When I heard about that, I was like, all right, guys, I'm out. I I got to check out these other <laughs> branches anymore. That's, that's a level of war that you don't want to have to go through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are pushing up against a break. I, I wanted to bring up this uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, quote. And you know what? We'll we'll go to break and we'll, we'll uh, bring it up as soon as we get back. Uh, so guys, hang with us through the break. This is the Joe Mobley Show. We're talking with Pastor Bill Cook. Um, and are, are you the, are you the founder of your, I'm the founder of the Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. And we've, uh, we've broadened the name to America's Black Robe Regiment because of interest that was arising in other states. So people from, from, uh, Western New York are forming a Black Robe Regiment up there. We have one in Michigan, have one, uh, down in, um, I think it's, uh, Alabama starting to form in other, in other states. Awesome. So when we come back from break, we'll we'll hear more about uh, the Black Robe Regiment. We'll we'll get into some of these quotes. Uh, so hang with us through the break, guys. Fear of out of control inflation is hammering the stock market. The S and P 500 is having its worst start of the year since World War II. So not only are your savings worth less, you now have less of it. Now might be a good time for you to diversify into gold, the most stable asset in the history of the world. And Birch Gold Group is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. That's right. Not only will Birch Gold help you fortify your savings with precious metals, they'll help you do it in a tax-sheltered account. Text Mobley to 989898 to get a free zero obligation info kit on holding gold in a tax-sheltered account. Something you might not know about me is I have sleep apnea. Sleep is obviously an important part of my life. It should be an important part of yours as well. That's why MyPillow was an obvious choice to partner with the show. I'm sure you've already heard of my pillow. Heck, you might even have some of these awesome pillows in your home, but I bet you didn't know they sold more. Much, much more, in fact. My pillow has sheets, towels, travel pillows, slippers, things that you need to see to believe. Right now, you can get their moccasin or slip on my pillow slippers, normally $139.98 for just $49. Bucks. You've got to use my promo code Mobley or go to mypillow.com slash Mobley to see all the deals you get with my promo code Mobley, including buy one, get one free Giza Dream Sheets, six-piece MyPillow towel sets, MyPillow pillows, bathrobes, and much more. Guys, the sale on slippers is ending soon. Order yours today. Do it right now. Go to mypillow.com slash Mobley or type in promo code Mobley anywhere on the website. 
Mobley is spelled M-O-B-L-E-Y. Go to www.mypillow.com today. If you're listening to this show, I can guess a few things about you. You probably don't trust the government. You trust the liberal media even less. And maybe, just maybe, you're an uncloseted conservative. While the time for sitting in silence is over, it wasn't working anyway. It's time to come out of the conservative closet, and there's no better way than with my uncloseted conservative gear, available exclusively at my website, thejoemobleyshow.com. These hoodies, shirts, mugs, and more are the funniest products you'll find anywhere, like my Joe Biden one-star would-not-recommend t-shirt or my AR-15 identifies as a stick. We've got the absolute best Let's Go Brandon gear on the market and my trademark uncloseted conservative design. You've got to see it to believe these premium products are made of the absolute softest cotton you'll find. You won't want to take them off. Premium prints on premium products from a premium brand. Use promo code FREEDOM for 10% off your entire order. Do it now. Go to thejoemobleyshow.com, load up the cart, and use promo code FREEDOM. Mobley is spelled M-O-B-L-E-Y. Go to thejoemobleyshow.com today. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley. We are talking with Pastor Bill Cook. Uh, oh, where'd he go? There he is. Bill, you're back. So. Uh, Stacy Satterfield, you know, in the chat, you're you're one step ahead of us. Uh, she says Dietrich Bonhoeffer has always been a hero of mine as he fought tyranny, the false church, Reich's church. Uh, Stacy, you're you're all over it. Um, so I, I've heard you, Bill, um, speak on this quote. This is a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote here: "Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless." Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Um, I I couldn't agree more <laughs> with Bonhoeffer here. But the disconnect is there. There's a disconnect between this sentiment and the you know the modern American pastor. What? How do, how do you think we got here? And how do we get back to you know to this idea of the black robe regimen? Well, as you and I were talking before the show, we talked about you, um, you talked about the influence operations happening in our country. And America has been the subject of an influence operation for decades, actually. I would say, oh, yeah. Beginning, even beginning before the Johnson Amendment was passed into law. And, and um, Johnson had, President Johnson had problems. He was a senator at the time, but he had problems with the pulpit and he wanted to, he wanted to, limit the ability of pulpits to speak. So he finagled the Johnson Amendment into the U.S. tax code. Uh, really, it was a last-minute addition in order to begin to silence the pulpits. And that has done more damage to America than, I, I think, any um, any piece of law in American history. Because if you think about it, all the, all the, the vices that have, be, have been legalized since 1954 have come, have come since 1954, whether it's promoting sodomy in public schools or transgenderism, uh, whatever it is, you know, boys using girls' bathrooms and so forth, that all has come because of the silence of the pulpit. The pulpits in America used to speak out very boldly. They weren't, they were definitely not like what Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil. They, they called out evil. 
They called out tyranny. Jonathan Mayhew was a case in point in, in uh, 1750. He, he pastored a church in Boston, and he was considered one of the most effective preachers in the whole in the whole region. And he preached a sermon in 1750 against unlimited submission. And he called out the crown of England. He also um, went so far as to say that if if uh, people held their peace when evil was being done, that they were guilty and would be would receive damnation because of what they did. And so silence affects so many bad things. If you think about what what if let's just say we we buy into the idea that churches should should not talk at all about politics, should not talk about what happens in government, should not teach members pastors shouldn't teach members of their churches how to behave politically. Um and this again the society disintegrates because of that because the church divorces itself from matters of government and then people begin to suffer you know that that's you know if, when that happens that's the response of that is the fault of the pastor who has kept silence or the pastors that have kept silence regarding what's happening in our nation in the political realm uh, we have a we have a duty before god a sacred duty to speak about those things and to teach our our our, uh, our flocks how to behave when they vote, how to behave as citizens, how to act as citizens. And, uh, you know, the church, when, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth in the Sermon on the Mount, he effectively was saying, we are the curators of our society. It's kind of like a museum curator. They take care of the, you know, keep the museum running well, keep the, keep the, uh, you know, displays the, um, in good condition. And that's what, we're supposed to do. We are the church is the steward of its temporal domain, <clears throat> and if we walk away from it and it disintegrates, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Absolutely. So, you know this this idea. It seems so foreign to us now, but you know any any student of history, not even world history, just American history, uh, would know that that what um, Pastor Cook is saying is is it was not foreign to congregants, you know, this is something uh, just like we hide the word in our heart. That's why you memorize scripture. Uh, culturally, these sentiments were something that the early American church knew that that colonial time church, this was kind of a message that uh, that lived in the hearts of the minds of the people. So now, again, to be clear, it wasn't that American pastors were calling for revolution, but they were educating their flocks on what the conditions of oppression were. They were educating their flocks on, you know, these are the uh, the issues worth fighting for. This is the hill worth uh, worth dying on. And here we are. We're kind of, you know, I anyone who's seen violence, the last thing uh, that we want. But we are on this precipice where uh, where freedom, where liberty, true liberty, uh, is at risk. And you know, to be frank, we're kind of uh, I, I don't want to say that word. Uh, we're kind of playing footsie with what's at stake here. And you know, I, I I don't know what to say, what to say to a fellow believer, what to say to a pastor to get them to wake up, to have that moment, like, hey, uh, this is. 
this is real, just as real as spiritual warfare is this propaganda campaign, the stuff coming out of China, this, this globalist push. This is real and it's for the purpose. They're going through Saul Alinsky's checklist and one of those bullets is they've got to get rid of religion, all religion, ours, uh, Muslims, Hindus, whatever. But the the popular one, you know, the the one true God is Christianity, uh, and they've got to get rid of it. So what what are we going to do? How do how do we reawaken? You know, this this kind of again, I, I want to say fighting spirit. I, I don't want people to go out and hopefully you already have firearms. You know, to ride it. It's how you protect yourself, your family, your property, your livelihood. Uh, here in the states, not not saying to go off and 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 wage war, uh, but we've got to get people to realize what's actually at stake. Do you do you have any tricks of the trade? Anything that you say well, to someone? Let me. I can I can share some examples of what happened during the American Revolution when when the conflict started. Um, there was a pastor in Lexington. You may have heard the story about Jonas Clark. Oh he man, was, he was the pastor. He I got um, him. I got him queued up. Here, here we go. Oh, wow. Excellent. <laughs> That's the that's that's actually the uh, Lexington militia or the Minutemen con- confronting the British on Lexington Green on the Common, right next to Clark's meeting house. And what was interesting is when the night that Paul Revere, the night before Paul Revere arrived on the doorstep of Clark's Jonas Clark's parsonage to notify Clark and his two house guests that um, the British were coming by land to Lexington and had orders to to seize the weapons, stores, and powder of the people of Lexington. In other words, it was the first recorded instance in our history of gun control. And so the um, they they came to also to notify his two house guests who that night were Sam Adams and John Hancock that the British also had orders not to not to leave Lexington without those two men in stocks because they were considered rebels. And uh, upon hearing that, one of the two men turned to the pastor and said, sir, will your people fight? And the pastor responded, I have prepared them for this very hour. And he had because Clark had actually helped to train the militia. And um, he was he was actually extremely knowledgeable on the on the foundations of government. He could stand toe to toe with any of the any of the founders, founding fathers philosophically. And he wrote all the significant state papers for the region of Lexington, Lexington and Concord. And so um, he understood what was at stake. And um, the next morning at about 1 a.m., when the militia began to assemble on Lexington Green, Clark went out to greet them. I, I assume that he went and prayed with them. And the next morning, he watched the entire scene unfold from his parsonage door. And as the smoke cleared the next morning, as it began to, the smoke from the musket fire began to evaporate, uh, to dissipate, Clark saw, saw eight men, eight of his, eight members of his church lying down, lying on Lexington Green. He went out to survey the damage. There were eight men dead. Another 10 were wounded. They were all from his flock. And uh, that week in the, at the funeral, he had to, he, he had to preach the funeral sermon of eight men, eight caskets, eight pine boxes piled one on top of the other right in the middle of his church. And that was the, we say the shot fired, the shot heard around the world was happened in Lexington. Well, it was actually that incident that started pastors, started pastors calling their churches together 
like Joab Houghton in, uh, in New Jersey. He called his, church, his entire church together, and he said, the British are murdering our brethren of New England. Who goes with me to Boston? And with that, he shouldered his own musket, and he led all the men of his church off to war. And that was the kind of pastor. Those were the kind of men that shepherded the church back in the 18th century. They were courageous. They were bold. They didn't fear death. They knew where they were going. Uh, but they, they felt that liberty was so sacred. They, they, had a, they had a sacred duty before God to secure it to themselves and to the next generation. And um, even, on the, even on the day of Lexington and Concord, there's two pastors. I'm trying to find the notes I had here. Um, there's two pastors in the Lexington and Concord region, Philip, region, Phillips Payson of Chelsea, Massachusetts, and um, Benjamin Balch of Danvers, Massachusetts. When they heard that the fellow Americans had been fired upon, they shouldered their own muskets and led the men of their flocks to ambush the British along the road back to Boston. Today it's called Battle Road. And um, they, effect, they have inflicted on the British 300, I think it was 342 casualties that day. The British knew they'd been in a fight. The Americans suffered a little over 90 casualties. And um, there, there are just some amazing stories um, of things that pastors did. Yeah, I remember um, listening to you, um, and I had never really thought about the concept of a farewell sermon, but I remember hearing you present, and again, this goes back to the whole counsel of God from the beginning yes. to the end, um, and and something I get into with Christians all the time, there's no supremacy between God the Father or the Holy Spirit or Jesus, they're, they're, that, that's a, a deeply twisted theological doctrinal misunderstanding. Uh, Jesus did not come and usurp authority from God. It's it's very interesting because he, he said time and time again, all authority given to me was given to me by my father. It's, it, but all, all three in one, all the same from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So those Christians are just confused. But again, whole counsel of God, and you were saying um, that he, he had preached. Now, was this Jonas Clark or a different pastor that it There was a pastor in Woodstock, Virginia named Peter Muhlenberg. Mm. Peter was, uh, he, he pastored German-speaking Lutheran churches. He was of German stock. His father was Henry Melchior Muhlenberg. He had, he had founded the, Henry founded the Lutheran Church in America. And Peter was, uh, as, as I said, he was pastoring Lutheran, German-speaking Lutheran and English-speaking Church of England churches in the northern Shenandoah Valley specifically in Woodstock, Virginia, where, where his church at the time was. It was called uh, Emmanuel Church. And he, he was in Richmond when Patrick Henry uh, gave his amazing speech. And um, Henry, uh, when he was finished his speech, he motioned that Virginia counties be put into a state of defense, which would have implied, uh, which would have implied raising militia in those counties to prepare for British, British attacks. And uh, it was the pastor in the room, Peter Muhlenberg, who raised his hand and seconded Henry's motion. And um, while, in Rich, while in Richmond for that House of Burgesses event, uh, George Washington asked him to accept a commission in the Continental Army as a colonel. And seeing no disparity between his call to be a pastor and his call to defend his country, 
He, he agreed to take a commission, came back to Woodstock, Virginia. Took him about six days on horseback to get back. And um, the word kind of spread throughout the northern Shenandoah Valley that he would, that was the frontier of America in those days. And the, the word spread that he was going to preach his, his final sermon in, uh, on January 21, 1776, and vacate the pulpit for the battlefield. And so he came to the church that morning. It was The church was filled to overflowing because, again, the colleagues were up in arms. And so people came from far and wide, and they were standing out of the church cemetery to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he took the pulpit that day, and he preached out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, which most of us know. We There was an old a song that used to be sung by a group called The Birds, called To Everything, Turn, 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 There's a Season, Turn, Turn, Turn. And then he preached those passages, which begins with, To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to sow, a time to reap, and so on. And when he came to the last verse, verse 8, a time for war and a time for peace, he raised his voice and he thundered so that the people standing out in the cemetery could hear him. He said, in the language of holy writ, there is a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to fight. The time to fight has come. He then, you know, that was that was a pretty dramatic thing for any pastor to say. And uh, he then said the benediction, threw off his robe, and he was in full uniform as a colonel. He had worn that that under his gown going into the pulpit. And um, he also had his sword with him in the pulpit. And he 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 then then ordered drums to begin beating for recruits just outside the church door. And that day and the ensuing few days, when all was said and done, he recruited, he had recruited 300 men to form the 8th Virginia Regiment, and he led them off to war. He marched off to war. It was called the German Regiment. And he was, a, he was an effective military leader. Um, he was eventually, he was actually one of the first uh, commanders to actually uh, staff his entire regiment. With 300, that was 300 men. Marched off to war, and he was he was capable capable military leader, and um, he was eventually promoted to brigadier general. He was one of Washington's most capable brigadiers, and at the end of the war, he was breveted to major general, which I think is some sort of it's kind of a formal promotion. And um, he was he is if you if you've ever seen the painting in the Capitol of the surrender at Yorktown, he's one of the generals that are seated on horseback. To Washington's left, uh, they're they're lined up to Washington's left as Washington accepts the surrender of Cornwallis. And um, at the end of the war, independence was won. You know, the the hostile pressure was relieved, and his church was begging him to come back and be their pastor. Obviously, he would have been a hero. Who wouldn't want to have a military hero as a pastor? And so. Um, but Muhlenberg responded, I can no longer build the house of God because I'm a bloody man. And uh, like Kim, just like David said to King Solomon. And um, so he decided to run for Congress. Peter Muhlenberg ran for Congress, and he was elected the first Congress and three total terms, one in the U.S. Senate. And um, it's interesting, his brother, uh, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, who was a pastor in Long Island, 
initially he criticized Peter and said, you have no business leaving the pulpit to, to fight in the military. You shouldn't leave the word of God to, to, to fight. And, and Muhlenberg, and he got into a contest in letters. They, they wrote back and forth. They obviously didn't have email or the internet. And so um, that, that exchange between he and his brother went on for a while, but around the end of the war, Frederick came around to Peter's way of thinking. His church was burned down, and uh, he decided to run for Congress as well. And Friedrich is, if, if you say it in German, he actually ran ran for the first Congress and got elected. And uh, so he and his brother Peter, both, both clergymen, both served in the first Congress. Friedrich became the Speaker of the House. So he was elected the first Speaker of the House of Representatives. So you had, in the first Congress, you have two clergymen in the first Congress, I believe there were more, um, but you know, it, it blows the whole notion of separation of church and state out of the water. If I, I can imagine the men we call the founders, you know, talking about ratification and someone bringing up the idea of separation of church and state, the way that it's thought of today. And I think we would, mm-hmm. it would have started another revolution because <laughs> Nobody would have, I mean, no one in that first Congress would have put up with it. Certainly not Patrick Henry. Um, you know, I don't know if you know the um, know about another aspect of the American Revolution was it was coincident with the First Great Awakening, which, had, you know, they almost were simultaneous. And so um, it was out of revival that that the revolution was, it was the, it was the revival that, that the way, the great awakening that provided the spiritual, spiritual uh, impetus for the American war for independence. And um, it's interesting. Patrick Henry is probably considered one of the greatest orders in American history. And um, obviously we all, we all probably know about his, I think it was March 26 speech in the Virginia House of Burgesses where he said, where he preached liberty or death. And it's interesting that Henry, when he was 11 years old, he used to attend a church in Southern Virginia called Pole Green Church. And one of the, one of the pastors there was the great revivalist Samuel Davies, who was, who himself was a tremendous orator. And so Henry, his mother at 11 years old from the time he was 11 until he was 22, his mother would, when she, when he would go home, when they would go home from church, she would ask him on the way to recite Samuel Davies' sermon that had been preached that morning. And so he learned oratory skills, <laughs> listening to, to revival sermons. And again, became, I'm, I'm reading a book right now that talks about him as the greatest orator in American history. It was his speech that uh, set the nation on fire. and. Um, which is so funny because it's all but been erased from history. I remember when I was a kid in school, we uh, we had to memorize a founding father's uh, speech, and the one that I did was that very one. You know, peace, peace. I love this. No I love Patrick Henry. By far, my favorite founding father, without a, without a doubt. And he's he's one of those guys that's an inconvenient fact of history uh, when you when you look at the the political ideological war that's out there. They've, they've got to erase people like him from history. They've got to erase these black robe uh, regimen uh, 
you know, early American pastors because that truth flies in the face of the narrative. Uh, the, you know, the, the narrative is that all of these guys, George Washington and the gang, they were all Nazis somehow uh, a few hundred years before the Nazis. And they were all and, Masons and they, were, they weren't devout and they were yeah. deists. So a couple of interesting things, you know, now it's so foreign, you know, you, you said like, who would want a, uh, you know, a great military leader as a pastor or a pastor as a military mm-hmm. leader. And it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Are we reading the same book? You know, have you heard about David? Have you heard about Joshua? Uh, have you heard of these, you know, we, we call them Bible characters. We, we, we know that they live, they were real people, but have, have you heard of these characters that were they were warriors they were also men of god many of them preachers teachers um how how do we just separate those ideas and uh so there's there's the military piece there there's a time for every season uh just 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 like you were referencing there um but the other piece the other piece is escaping my brain i'm having a joe biden moment here Da, da 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 Time for every season. Hmm. Time to every purpose under heaven. Yeah, but there's uh there's there's another separation. You know, I should have written this down. I thought about it. I was driving in the car, and I should have written this down. But it 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 just gets to this place where it seems that we're not reading the same Bible. It seems like we're, you know, uh, not not saying to go out there, cherry picking verses and start a cult, guys. That's exactly how cults get started. Um, But to consider the whole counsel of God. One of the awkward things for Christians is there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an idea that the Old Testament is one dispensation and the New Testament is another dispensation post the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that when he died and rose from the dead, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have to do anything in terms of uh, kinetic warfare anymore or kinetic conflict. And really, when you again, when you think about it, um, the Bible doesn't shy away from any of that. But when you you have to think about one thing, I think it's important for believers to do when they look at when they if if the if the idea of fighting evil. Physically fighting evil is wrong. Then we, you can, you have by inference, you can go back and look at the American Revolution and say, well, the, the pastors during that era that fought were all wrong. Mm-hmm. They what they did was wrong. The things they, the political preaching was wrong. It was all wrong. It, they they didn't they weren't as enlightened as we are today. And um, and I would the, say, the, you know, peacekeepers aren't blessed. There's a little verse in the book of Proverbs that says, wisdom is justified of its children. In other words, that which is true wisdom is justified by the fruit that it bears. And if you look at the American founding, you look at the American Revolution, you look at the pastors who fought, you look at um, the fruit of that and the fruit of liberty being the, the, the gospel being, being proclaimed throughout the world as it had never been, and a freedom to send missionaries throughout the world and win billion, I believe, billions to Christ and, and send, you know, bring billions of sons to glory. I don't think you can look at the American Revolution and say, well, you know, that was just an accident of, of the thing we did wrong. 
you know, that, that God just brought good out of evil. It's, it's, it, we should have never fought the revolution. We should have just folded our hands and been pacifists. And, um, I don't think so. I think you can look at what happened. It's hard. It's hard to make a case that the American revolution wasn't justified, that pastors fighting in the revolution wasn't justified, that preaching political sermons was not warranted and what wasn't necessary. It, it, it just flies in the face of the fruit of the of what of all that's been accomplished in this nation's history, and, um, and we're, we're probably at a point that's more perilous now than it ever was during the American Revolution, in terms of the things we're facing as a nation. It it also flies in the face, you know. There there are several uh, biblical tests that you you put things through, you know, the law of first mention, you know, what what God said first is how he intended. And, um, you know, one of those things is keeping with the character of God, which is all three, you know, all three branches, if you will, of the character of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, can't You can't separate the New Testament and the Old Testament. You, you, you cannot. That is, that is not... Right. That's not how uh, the doctrine, that's not how theology is intended. Um, but even if you were to do that, even if you were, many Christians' understanding is is lacking. Jesus comes in, um, a king riding on a donkey. And, and for the time, the symbolism of that is when a king did come, a foreign king came and visited uh, riding on a donkey. It was for peace, coming to you know have a feast or have some kind of peacetime. Uh, so if you are that type of New Testament-only Christian, if that is a thing, if, if, if that's really a thing, um, you know, the bad news for you is your understanding is still lacking because when the it says in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, everyone knew, you know, a king on a donkey, peace. And they didn't know at the time that he was the Messiah, he was a king. But uh, when he comes back, he's coming back on a horse, on a stallion, and, and the the symbolism there is very clear: donkey for peace, horse for war. Uh, not uh, not air quotes war, uh, but death and destruction war. A battle that's already won, and and you know, yeah, believers are pretty well settled on that. We know what happens in the end. Um, but this is this this is a, a holy war. This is a and this is a theological war in a literal sense. So this is Jesus coming back as the, as the only kind of general, if you will. Right. But it's, it's just incongruent to say that violence, that war, that all of those things belong to God, the father and were laid to rest with Jesus. And now, I don't think so. now, now is a peacetime. It, I, it's hard for me not to get upset with, you know, these, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's hard for me not to just kind of shake them into submission. Like, how do you not see this? Is violence justified? It can, you know, I have four children. Can I kill in protection of their lives or do I surrender them to the monster? And right now, public schools, it's like that situation with, with the suicide That's rates the monster, and all yeah. of the, yeah. do, do you is, surrender is or, or do you... Yeah. Do you fight? I I think that pacifism is is not congruent with the word because there are, there are things that we are supposed to protect and and hold. I agree. Sacred. Because it surrenders the innocent and the helpless to evil. And absolutely, uh, you know, let's say the schools are saying, you know, we're going to let boys use the girls' bathrooms. Are we supposed to sit back and be nice while they do that? 
I mean, what they're doing is an act of great violence against their children. So we don't sit back and just allow that to happen. You know, Jesus said something to his disciples when he commissioned them. And I used to, I used to read this and think, why did he say that? He began the Great Commission with the phrase, all authorities given to me in heaven and in earth. And it's an interesting statement because another in, in, in another place in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. Mm-hmm. And so... And the use of the term last is deliberate because that means there won't be another one. There, there, there have been two atoms in human history. The first Adam surrendered the earth to the prince of the power of the air. Jesus came and, and redeemed that. He took that back from the devil. So he could say, he could make a legal statement. You know, God told, told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth have dominion over the entire earth. And there, God's plan has never changed. There is an Adam that's going to rule the earth one day. That's Jesus. And there won't be another one after him. And so when Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, this is post-resurrection. He was speaking as the last Adam who had been given all authority over the earth. And he could then say, legally say to his disciples, go into my entire realm, the length, depth, the height and the breadth of it, and carry this this message of the gospel to every nation, calling them, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but tell them that they are to submit to the government of God, and everyone who believes the message and does what does what uh, does what they are supposed to be doing in terms of my commandment will be saved, and everyone who doesn't will be damned. So God is actually you know, through the through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, the whole new birth experience, God is uh, is creating, an, and God is essentially, through the new birth, is creating an entirely new race of humanity, of born-again believers that um, bear the nature of God, the image of God, the nature of God, and we are called in that, in that role to, to be the governors of the new heaven and the new earth at some point. So God, God has never given up on the idea of ruling over the, you know, sub, uh, ruling over the earth and procreating and uh, subduing the earth. That's our calling. And um, I'm not talking dominion theology, you know, the that thing. I'm talking about that we are the we we're the only suitable governors of our nation. We're the only suitable governments governors. Ah, of, that's of. of Temporal society, we are. That's the thing that escaped my brain that I thought about in the car. Um, I was I was listening to you talk, and um, and the sermon note kind of popped into my head that you know just kind of the, the false teaching of separation of church and state being a good thing, being right and just, blah blah blah. Um, but you you look at these Bible characters again, and it's a, it's another thing, you know, of God equipping people for the calling that He's placed on them. Um, but almost exclusively putting them in these seats of political power, of government power, Moses, Joseph, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, uh, again and again and again and again, um, putting these people in, embedding them into the government and in some of the highest you know, positions of government uh, for the purpose of bringing, you know, bringing 
truth and and beauty and love, bringing God into those systems of government. Um, and it, it, it's not by it's not by mistake. It, it's it's part of the design. Gov- government has always existed. It, it, I I think that there are a lot of believers that think that government is a product of the fall. It's not. Which is not true. <laughs> yeah. It's in the design of God. Yeah, exactly. One one thing I want to mention um, before we, I know we're getting close to the amount of time here today, but I want to mention that we have, we're planning a pastor's event down in uh, Virginia Beach for the 8th of July. And um, it's being called Gideon's 300. And we're our goal is to get at least 300 pastors to come to that event. Uh, where they will hear, they will actually meet and hear from General Mike Flynn, General Jerry Boykin, uh, Donald Trump, Eric Trump Jr. I mean, I mean Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and many other pastors. Jim Garlow is going to be there. Uh, a number of other pastors are going to be there, and we're going to essentially we're going to be talking about the role of pastors within the civil society and in relation to government. And after we are done with the pastors portion, they're going to, all of those pastors are going to be invited on stage, 300 or more of them, and they're going to be celebrated, they're going to be charged, and then commissioned by General Boynton to go forward and do great things for God and uh, in, in terms of the securing liberty. And so I want to just encourage every pastor who may be listening to this, please join us. I mean, you can practically get in for free uh, there's a number you can call. Um, I think it's it's on the brochure that you have there. Uh, it's on the flyer you have there. It's uh, 918-851. I think it's 102018 or something like that. But if anyone wants to learn more about it, they can send me an email at rev at blackroberegiment.us. I'd be happy to send it to them, and I'll give my number. My phone number is 703 986 8096. Here's the number at the top of that page there. And they can call me and I'll I'll put them in touch with who they need to be put in touch with to, to get a ticket. I guarantee you you will you will not regret coming to this event. And in fact, you're gonna meet some incredible people down there. So uh please join us, Pastor. I I also want to uh, point people uh to your website. I love the securing the blessings of liberty. Uh so so much uh, that American history has to teach us and and shoring up uh, some of our biblical beliefs. Uh, But definitely, uh, the links are going to be below. This link should be below wherever you're watching or listening right now. Um, The other link to register, pastors, for you to register to um, that 300 Gideon event, uh, that's going to be added uh, in post. So give it about an hour and that link will be accessible as well. Uh, but it's blackroberegiment.us. You can click join. Um, now, is this just for uh, clergy that you want? No, I mean, we have people. Um, we're, we are, uh, anyone can join. Um, you know, the Jonas Clark had Minutemen, had the, had the uh, Minutemen, and we, we're, you know, Patriot, all Patriot, true Patriots are welcome. Awesome. Well, hey, you are right on the money with the time. We are at uh, uh, 57. So, uh, you know, Pastor Bill, this is this has just been refreshing. It's all everything's like a, a whisper, a wink and a nod now. You know, every, no one wants to be bold or courageous about their beliefs. It's like secret clubs for secret clubs for secret clubs. 
Um, it's it's so refreshing to get to speak with people like yourself. Uh, huge fan of what you're doing. I I just I wish you all the best. I heard that you were at Patrick Henry. That was just down the road from me. I'm I'm sad that I yeah we did our we did our you. inaugural event down there uh, over I should say up there uh, ten years ago. And yeah, uh, it was an incredible night. Incredible night. Yeah. Well, next time you're there, I'll have to I'll have to go and and uh, take it all in. Um, so, guys, follow follow. Uh, Pastor Cook here. Um, get involved. Go get to. I'm on Getter, Twitter, you know, a lot of different places. Just Google my name. And uh, hey, it's been an honor being with you. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. Awesome. Joe. Thanks so much Thank for you. coming on the show. Guys, that is it for today. This is the Joe Mobley Show. Hope you enjoyed it. I will see you in the next one.
Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.